0: Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. As uh, Lindsay and John have just said, My name's Chris. I'm part of the the staff team here at Grace Church. And just so fab to have you here on our baptism Sunday. Baptized one already in the nine o'clock, another three here, another three later. We had three baptized at our 12 o'clock service during the week. It's just so exciting to see what God is doing in people's lives. So we celebrate together here today. Um, We're taking a break from our ongoing series at the moment just to speak. uh, I'm going to be speaking today on Philippians chapter three in the Bible, um, which if you have a Bible with you, get out. It's in this sort of territory. So like somewhere near the back. It's a very small book. You'll probably flick past it a few times. Um, Get that out. Uh, If you haven't got a Bible, it's totally fine. The words will be on the screens. I'm using the NIV translation today. You might have something slightly different. That's absolutely fine. It should be able to follow along still. So we're going to go from chapter 3 in Philippians, pick up halfway through verse 4, and go through to verse 9. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. "'Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, "'of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, "'in regard to the law, a Pharisee, "'as for zeal, persecuting the church, "'and as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. "'But whatever were gains to me, "'I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. "'What is more, I consider everything a loss.' Now, what we are reading here this morning is actually a letter um, written by a guy called Paul, and he's writing to a church in the ancient city of Philippi, which is somewhere in modern-day Greece. And uh, at this time, he's actually writing to them from prison. He himself has been persecuted and imprisoned for his faith in Jesus, and so he's in prison. And so writing this letter is the only way that he can communicate with this church. But what's lovely is actually the reason why he's writing this letter um, is because the church have just sent him a gift... Um, with a guy called Epaphroditus. And uh, so he basically kind of writes this letter back as a little thank you note, which I just think is quite cute. Um, so he writes this letter to them, say thank you so much, also to let them know that this guy, Epaphroditus, is okay. Because if you read in chapter two, the guy almost died and got really ill. So he's like, Epaphroditus is okay. He'll be coming back to you soon. And in fact, he says he wants to send his friend Timothy to go and be with them, and also says that at some point, I'd love to come and visit as well. So it's just it's just quite lovely, isn't it? Lots of niceties in this letter, but that is not the main reason why Paul is writing to them. That might have been where it started, but Paul's primary concern here is their progress as a church, and as individuals, I suppose as well. That you can read some of his other letters to other churches in this part of the Bible, and some of them are in a real mess. They're in an absolute state, and so reading them, you can kind of almost sense the pain with which he has to write the letters to them. Not so here. When he writes to them, it's actually quite lovely because they're doing well. This church is okay. They're a healthy congregation from what we can pick up. But he still knows, Paul, that it's all well and good being in a good place, but it's it's actually very easy to get knocked off course, that it doesn't take much. And I think that's probably pretty true of us today as well, isn't it? I wonder how many of us could testify to just one thing coming unstuck in our life, And just almost everything else seems to start unraveling. And and we do get knocked off course as a result, just from that one little thing. And that actually, even if you just get knocked off course just by one degree, might not seem a lot at first, but your end point is vastly different. And so Paul writes to them to help them, to try and encourage them in this. And he's writing to help us too. And so my question right at the start of today, and I suppose the title of this message is this. Are you on the right course? Are you on the right course? Have you got your angles right? Do you, do you know exactly what it is that you're heading for at the moment? Because Paul thought that he did. He, he really did. He was convinced of it. And the first part of what we read, verses 4 through to 6, is very much him explaining why that's the case. So we're going to get them back up on the screen and uh, just pick up in 4 where it says... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And what he's commenting on here is not so much his right standing before God, but more just the right way of living, okay, like the good life, as it were. Um, And basically his point is, look, of all the people that have reasons to be confident in these things, it's me. Of everyone that has reason to put their faith in that kind of stuff, it's me. He's doing life right. And he goes on to cite seven reasons um, as to why that is the case. That more than anyone else, Paul was doing it right, not even just on par with others, but bettering everyone else, right? He was living his best life. The dude absolutely had it down to a T as far as he was concerned. And I just want to look very briefly at those seven things, not because the specifics will be the same, because they won't, the context is totally different, but I think the principles behind them can actually be mirrored in our society now. Um, So we'll go through them. I'll just rattle through. The first one he says is he's circumcised on the eighth day. Importantly, that means that he was more prominent than certainly those that he was writing to in that regard, the first, as it were. Secondly, that he's of the people of Israel. That is to say, he's part of God's people. The third one when he says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, this one is just really for showing off because the tribe of Benjamin, um, earlier in the Bible, is called the one that God loves. It's the tribe that Israel gets their first king from. And so he kind of just chucks this one in as a, oh, and by the way, he just thought it was from the people of God, also the tribe of Benjamin. And then all of those three are summed up with the fourth one, which is to say that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he's of pure Hebrew stock. Then he kind of shifts slightly from Commenting on his background and where he's from to much more about what he does and his achievements. Uh, The fifth one is with regards to the law. He's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a a religious teacher of the day, very prominent in society. And uh, Paul is far advanced in these things. So he himself is prominent in that regard. The sixth one possibly might not sit that well with us, actually, because it, it says, As for zeal, persecuting the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of us would ever really boast in persecuting someone or something. That is perhaps not something that we would, you know, flaunt to others. But in this context, the reason why he he is saying it is because as a Pharisee, he's a teacher of the Jewish law, and actually he believes in it so much that he's going after anyone that does not adhere to it. And so actually, it's kind of like a badge of honor for him, saying... Actually, I'm even better than just the teachers. I'm the ones that are trying to stop the others. So he's a persecuting of the church. And then the last one, which is, I suppose, the climax of the whole set, is that as for righteousness based on the law, Paul is faultless. That his conduct according to the Jewish law is without blemish and stain. He cites these things to show that according to the world, he is pretty much nothing short of perfect. And now this list covers a whole range of things. As I said, the specifics won't marry up with us, but I think some of the principles behind them wouldn't be out of place in an assessment of our lives today. And I'm just gonna list up some of the things that are commented on in this. He's talking about his status, his heritage, his achievements, his passions, his conduct, morality, knowledge, and his identity. These are the things, says Paul, that in every area Faultless. You can't find a mark on me. And I wonder, just looking up at that list, like what else would we also add to that when we're looking at life today for us? What other things would we add on to our list of criteria for the you know the right way of doing life? Maybe it's things like relationships or finances, being stable in that regard. Maybe it's our education, our family backgrounds, material things, or our careers you know i think we could almost chuck those onto that list as well to say how would we measure our lives today i also wonder i'm not actually going to ask you this cuz it'd be very unfair but like how you would rate yourself based on those criteria i wonder how you would assess your life my life actually was pretty good based on those things before i became a christian i wasn't brought up in a christian home i gave my life to jesus at 17 and up to that point my life was decent as far as I was concerned, as far as those things on the list go, I, I was brought up in a good family, had a nice house, we were relatively well off, I suppose, never really struggled for money. I achieved well in school, but I never like achieved too well that I was thought of as like one of the kind of nerds, which was great for me at the time. And then I also managed to be just a little bit naughty from time to time, so that I was still kind of in with the cool kids as well. So I, I married those things really, really well when I was a 16-year-old boy. I was popular. I had lots of friends. I was captains of my football teams. Things were going well for Chrissy B when I was 16. (laughs) Yeah? My life was okay. Now, I say this not to boast, but I will come back to it later. And Paul, in a similar way, is saying, hey, my life wasn't just going decent. My life is faultless. You couldn't find a thing on me. Absolutely perfect. As the world would see his life It was approved. It was ticking all the right boxes. It's thumbs up for Paul. (laughs) He was doing real good, is his whole point here. But then, in our text, there's this this massive turn of pace. Because he then goes on and tells us that whatever were gains to him in the past, he now considers loss. All of these things that used to be his pride and joy, now he just disregards them. One of the commentators I read says this. Paul has taken his advantages on the credit side, item by item, forgetting nothing, omitting nothing, and excluding nothing. All that could be put to his good account is there, all of his gains, each and every one. But when the accountant's eye travels down the list, And the sum total is reckoned, and the line is drawn beneath the completed sum, the answer is an uncompromising singular word, loss. All of a sudden, all of those things he now considers loss. And he goes on, actually, it's, it's not even just these things, it's everything. Everything that he can conceive of, he now considers to be lost to him. And he really rams the whole point home by saying, actually, it's not even just as lost. I think of them as garbage, rubbish. And actually, the original kind of rendering of these words is, is even stronger than that. It's more like just filth and muck, just to be chucked out, ugh, to get rid of the whole lot. That's what he's saying. You he just, you kind of stop and you think, "What? Well, how, how How? can all of those things all of a sudden be chucked out with the trash? What, what on earth has happened? How can you see them in this way? Not even just as loss, but as garbage. Well, Paul says, and this is his whole point here, that whole turnaround, that whole change, the reason why is because he has seen Jesus. He's seen Jesus. And compared to him, the things on that list, everything that you can think of, it doesn't even register on the scale doesn't even come close. Paul is saying, I just, I just want him. Just Jesus. You can keep your faultless life. I'm having Christ. I want to gain him. And you know what? That's basically what these guys have been saying today. As they get up here, Alice, Griddle, Mike, giving their testimony, telling their story. In their own way, they are saying, you know what? All of the things of this life, actually, I don't want them. I just want to live for him. That's what they're stating up here. It's a brave thing to say, bold, outrageous even, to say something of that scale. And I think it still begs the question, why? Why on earth is Jesus worth losing not just those things, but everything for? Well, let me try and show you using some of the things that we mentioned earlier that we might add to the list, right? the things of, of our lives today. And uh, we'll start with material things because I like nice things. I'm a sucker for a nice thing. And there's nothing wrong with nice things in and of themselves, yeah? Nothing bad of them inherently. But things never quite fulfill, do they? I love my phone. I remember when I first got my phone, what a day that was. You know when you like, open the box, it's like that little vacuum sealed, and then, oh, look at that thing of beauty the metal and the glass coming together in a seamless amazing speaking my language and actually the biggest breakthrough in my life for the last few years is that i'm yet to upgrade my phone from three years ago so chris is doing good there's a stronghold coming down right there <laughs> but seriously like i was so happy when i got my phone i loved it but i was only happy for a while now my phone is fine at best And you might be thinking, well, Chris, it's just because you haven't upgraded. Let me show you my phone. That's not the point. (laughs) All of our phones, at best, are just fine. Okay? They never quite give us the happiness that we think they're going to. Not even just that. Like, they don't just bring us back to a neutral place of being fine. These things sometimes suck our emotions into such a negative place. I have never dropped a phone in my life. It was a good record. It had been going for a very long time until... A few months ago, I was out for drinks with a friend, and my phone was on the table, and he knocked the table. I was like, why order? And my phone slipped off, and I got a little crack at the top, two little cracks at the bottom. It didn't even touch the screen, so I got off pretty lightly, and I was so flipping sad. Because a piece of glass from three years ago all of a sudden had three tiny cracks in. I was disproportionately sad and upset about this. So I go home from drinks, and B, my wife, is like, how was your evening? And I'm just like... It was rough. She's like, oh my goodness, what on earth happened at drinks? Just because of a little phone. Like these things, we think they're going to make us happy. Then then we get to neutral and then they just begin to suck our emotions into a negative place. Now maybe for you it's not phones, it's not nice tech things. Maybe it's the car or the house or what you have in your house. Maybe it's just money. You know, at first you think, oh man, this thing is making me so happy. I'm loving life because of this thing. But eventually it just lacks something, doesn't it? I think we can all testify to that in some way. What about relationships then? Surely they're a bit more fulfilling. Friendships. You know, we're all supposed to have friends. We were made to do life in community. That's why, as a church, we run home groups. So that you can literally do that. Like, get to know people well. Live life alongside each other. You talk, you share. But even the best of friends aren't available all of the time. It's not their fault, they're just human. Even the best of friends can can never perfectly know you, can never truly know the depths of your hearts and minds. Again, not because they don't want to, they just can't because they're human. So even in that regard, you just there's still something left wanting, like there's something lacking here. One of the big ones, surely, in our society has to be this thing of career. You know, there's this like elusive job ladder, which we are all supposed to be climbing. Nobody knows what the top is, We don't know when we're going to get there, but we're supposed to be going up it all of the time. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a good job that you enjoy at all. But so many conversations that I have is about people saying, well, I do love my job, but I wonder if I could be getting paid more for what I'm currently doing, or I wonder if there's a better job out there that's better made for me. There's always, even in the one that you like, there's this sense of what if. It doesn't quite fulfill like we want it to. Even if it is something that we love and enjoy, there's always something lacking, always something missing, and I think we could have gone through that whole list and commented on it in a very similar way. In all of these things, we're left wanting in one small part. That's what I felt like. That's why I told you that my life was decent, not to boast, but to make the point that that I had so much going for me, and yet, as a 16-year-old boy, I felt like I was drifting, I thought there's got to be more than, than this. Like all of this stuff, what I've got, I, there has to be, surely, something more fulfilling because I just feel somewhere in me empty. Alice even referenced it in her testimony that something was missing. Empty in some way. And the reason why Jesus is worth losing everything for is because he promised to come and give us life and life in its fullness. That was his promise to us. It's a full life. Knowing Christ Jesus, it does surpass everything because he is the perfection and fulfillment of everything else. Any of the desires that you have deep inside your soul, the things that you long for, the things that sometimes you can't even express with words, Jesus is the only thing that can fulfill that. He is the only person that can satisfy all of that for you a full life. One of the other commentators I read, Ralph Martin, he says that the excellency and the surpassing worth here is used in an absolute sense. So there's a finality to it. He says that knowing Jesus is not just superior to the things the world might measure, knowing him excels them to such a degree and so far outstrips them that it must be considered in a class apart. Jesus stands in scandalous prominence here. He alone is worth more than everything else. Not just that list, everything. Jesus and only Jesus. Okay, well, well maybe that's the case, but how on earth do I get that? How do I, how do I gain Christ? That, surely that's got to be a big task. You know, like with your career, to get the dream job at the end, you've got to do a lot of work to get there. Surely it's a similar sort of thing. Actually, not really. We read it in our text. All that Jesus asks of us is faith. It's that simple. Faith, putting our trust in him and in him alone. And that's important. It's not Jesus and something else. It's faith just in him. I'm going to bring up a a column on the screen. This is what I'm talking about. The column on the right isn't supposed to have anything ever apart from Jesus. It's not supposed to be Jesus, oh, but I'll I'll just slip in my career onto the right-hand side, because actually that is quite fulfilling for me at the moment. Even if Jesus is still kind of a little bit further ahead in the pecking order. Oh, maybe it's actually my marriage or that thing I long for in relationship, that, that probably is on the gain side as well for me. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's whole point here is that all of that stuff, you can just leave. And instead, you just have Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Always, only, Jesus. His wording is this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's to say, it's not about anything that you or I can achieve, not what you or I can do, not our efforts, not our endeavors to make it, to make something work, to be fulfilled. It's all just about trusting in Jesus. It's that simple. And no matter how long you've known Jesus, that's never supposed to change. It's not, oh, well, at first, of course, Jesus is the prominent one because you've just got to know him. But then over time, things seep in, and that's what life is supposed to be like. No, it's forever supposed to be this. Jesus is our game. We are to be found in him and only him. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow you go and quit your job, sell your car, throw your phone in the river, and all of your worldly possessions, you burn all of your friendships with one long text. <laughs> that, is, that is not the message of today. Right, that do not take that away from today. Well, Chris said, "No, I did not." (laughs) You might not need to get rid of everything. Fine, but you might need to reassess some things and reassess their worth to you. Let me put it this way. Let me ask some questions. If you were told you weren't ever going to get married, that's something that you desire, but you're told it's never going to happen for you. Would that change how you view Jesus? Maybe it's, it's your job. You go into work tomorrow and actually you're fired. And they say, this industry that you love, you can never work in it again. Would that make you doubt Jesus' goodness? Maybe your future plans hang in the balance because you've been saving for years and years and years faithfully, and then all of a sudden, because of one little thing, all of it disappears. Would you still trust your future to Jesus? If any part of you is hesitant on that and thinking, oh, actually, then you might need to reassess those things worth to you and just work out where they're sitting in that order. Because Jesus asks us when he was on earth, he actually said, what, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul?" That is what's at stake here. That's what's at stake. We're supposed to abandon our own efforts, throw them out with the trash, as it were, and gladly, and I mean really gladly, with delight and relief, receive his efforts on our behalf. Because Jesus is the only one, the only person who ever could live a truly faultless life. And he did it for you, for me. He is the only one that could have died the perfect death so that actually you and I don't have to bear the punishment for our sin. And actually more than that, he rose into new life so that we didn't have to just live an empty, unfulfilling, lacking life, but that we could have life and life to the full. That's what's on the table here. That's the deal that's on offer. And it's not just for now, it's forever. It's not just for the days that we have ahead of us. It's beyond those into eternity. That is what Jesus can give to you. And all he asks of us is that we adjust course accordingly. And for some, that might be for the very first time. The Bible calls this repentance. And it implies a a change of direction. A 180. It's... It's choosing to say, here are all of the things I have been chasing in this life that I desire and and go after, turning away from God. Actually, you know what? I consider that as loss. I'm going to turn away from those things, and I'm going to trust you, Jesus, and I'm going to live for you as best I can every day. Some of you might want to do that for the first time today. Others of you will have already done that at some point in your life have already made that that 180. I did that once when I was 17. I made that choice. I turned around for the very first time. But importantly, this isn't supposed to be just a one-time thing. So you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I remember doing that. Great, I've got my columns sorted. Well, you might think that, but check your heart and see whether every moment of every day you're trying to put Jesus first above everything else. That's the question to ask yourself here. And actually... Paul knows this as well. He, he knows how easy it is to get knocked off course from that moment at the beginning. And he, so he goes on, actually. If we were to read verses 12 and 14, I'll just read them out. They won't be on the screens. But um, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Had Paul gained Jesus already? Yeah, of course he had. He says he has. I'm found in him. He is mine. And he says that he wants to press on and strain towards Jesus. That is to exert himself, to bust a gut every day to get more and more of him and to know him more intimately. It's both. You gain Jesus in that moment that you turn for the first time. And then for the rest of your days, you you get to go after him. You get to pursue him completely and then have an adventure of life living for Jesus. And at the end of it all, when you run out of juice... You pass through death and enter into eternity with him. Full life now, yeah, and full life forever. That's what he offers to you and me. That's what he offers to you and to me. So are you on the right course? Ask yourself that question, honestly. Do you know what you're heading towards? Is it the right direction? Is it what you thought it was? Maybe it isn't. If if not, you can change direction today. It's very simple. If you want to do it for the first time, we can help you do it and walk you through that. Make that 180. But maybe for some of you, it's it's not the 180 for the first time. Maybe it's just an adjustment. Recalibrating towards Jesus. Maybe it's just actually, as I've been speaking, you know, yeah, actually that thing has just become a little bit prominent in my life. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I want to put you first in that boop, you realign. Maybe it's actually every morning, you you just wake up and you say, Jesus, I've got a day planned, but in all of this, please be the center point in my life. Boop. You just realign over and over and over again to Jesus. Make that the daily, daily life. Rick, maybe you in the bag could come up. That's what Paul's message is to us today life with Jesus man it's a, it's a full life it is a fulfillment of all of the things that you long for why do I consider everything lost why do I leave everything else behind why do I throw it out with the trash all because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord that we may gain him and be found in him that's why